take your Bibles. We're going to start out tonight in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 4, verses 19. We're going to read verse 19 through 24. Joshua chapter 4. Tonight is uh, the message. Tonight, this is uh, thought an appropriate message for Memorial Day. Of course, one thing that we need to do as Americans is we need to take the time to remember some things. I know Memorial Day, it seems like now it's more about uh, picnics and cookouts. and uh, In America, pretty much every holiday is all about getting drunk, it seems like. You know, you go to Walmart tonight, I guarantee you you're going to see all kinds of people just stocking up their carts with all kinds of beer and stuff. It's just absolutely disgusting. But uh, Memorial Day is supposed to be a time where we remember those who have fallen, those who died, fighting for our country, and that is a, definitely a good thing to do. But uh, really, some, we don't want to just remember stuff like that once a year. There's things that we need to remember all the time, and not just about our country, but in Christianity. We're going to talk about some of these things tonight. But I want to show you, uh, I want to read a passage to you before we get into some of these things. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 19, it says, And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in times to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until ye were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Right here in this passage, it's right after the children of Israel they've finally crossed over into the Promised Land. It was a miraculous event too. It was at a time of year when Jordan River it would overflow its banks. There's no way they're getting across that river. But the Lord once again parts the waters for them. Two times this has happened. Now it happened at the Red Sea and it happened again. And Joshua, he said they went and they took these 12 stones and they stacked them up there next by the edge of the river and the spot where they crossed over. And he said the reason that we are going to do this is because in the future, someday your children are going to come along and they're going to look and they're going to see these stones sitting there and it's obvious that they're there for a reason. It's not natural the way they're there. You can tell that somebody stacked them up there. They're there for a purpose. And they said your children, they're going to see that and they're going to say, what mean these stones? And then you're going to tell them that story. Because this is a story that needs to be repeated. It's one that we don't ever want to forget. Back then, they didn't have cameras. They, you know, There wasn't video cameras there videoing the Jordan River opening up that people could go back and watch. That would have been neat if they had that back then, but they didn't have it. They didn't have cameras where they could take the pictures. They didn't have those things. And even back then, you know, books and things like that, it was very difficult to preserve. They didn't have you know the libraries and things that had 
you know, the humidity control and things to make sure everything stays good for as long as possible. It was very difficult preserving those things. And so a lot of times they'd use things like rocks and stones just as a reminder. And then they would pass those stories on for generations. That, you know, the Lord didn't really want them making statues and idols because if they would do that, then they would always end up worshiping them. They weren't supposed to make graven images. And so they just stacked these stones there as a reminder. It was a memorial. It was something that was done on purpose. They wanted, he wanted people to ask what mean these stones. And it would give people an opportunity to tell them about the great things that God had done for them. And the truth is, the best time to teach somebody anything, it's when they're asking a question. You know, it's I love it when people uh, ask questions about the Bible. Because when somebody asks a question, it's obvious they've got an interest in that. You know, many times when you know when I preach, I'm preaching what the Lord laid on my heart. It may be something people are interested in, it may be something they don't care about at all. But it's nice when you know that there's an interest. Like last Sunday when Brother Johnson was here, didn't even really get to preach, just because people kept asking questions. And I told him, I said, man, I said, that was great. I was okay with that. Because it was good. And he got to talk about things that were in it, people. He had everybody's attention. And it's good when people are asking questions. It also shows a willingness to learn. When people ask a question, they're usually wanting an answer. Of course, there are sometimes people ask you a question and then you give them an answer and they get mad at you, but uh, you've heard that before. Why did you even ask? You know, your, your, uh, your wife asked, you know, does this look good on me? It's like, I'm not going to tell you. Know, <laughs> of course it does. You, know, you can't really... If you, you know, they ask, it's one of those questions where it's like they don't want to know the answer otherwise you'll get in trouble. But it also, another thing it shows, it shows you have their attention. You know, you can be preaching to people that are looking right at you, but it doesn't mean you have their attention. They could be thinking about the movie they just watched. They might be thinking about what they're going to be eating after the service is over. They might be wondering, you know, they might be counting the light bulbs or whatever. Something. I mean, you don't know. I just got Joseph's curiosity going there. He's counting. <laughs> and, you, you know, uh, and so whenever people are asking questions, it's a great opportunity. Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. One of the reasons we want to do good works is people will see that and it's going to cause them to start asking questions. It's going to get them curious maybe about our religion or about our faith that we have. And God said, let your light shine. We don't want to hide the fact we're a Christian. I'm not saying we go around wearing t-shirts saying I'm a Christian. But at the same time, and that truth is that won't impress anybody. People want to see us living like we're truly children of God. But in order to get people to ask questions, you need to provoke them. And there was, there was many times in the Bible where they did things similar to this. There was uh, Jacob, he left a pillar in Bethel where he wrestled with God. That was a special place to him. And so he wanted to mark it. And whenever he would go by there, he would remember that encounter that he had with God. And it was also something he could tell his children. They saw that pillar there and they'd say, hey kids, you know what happened? This is where I met with God. This is where God changed my name from Jacob to Israel. Joshua he did also did that in chapter 24. He set up a great stone in the place where Israel said they would serve the Lord. We talked about that story this morning. 
Joshua, he sent this, they set up a, a great stone there, and he said, This stone is a witness that you've said that you're going to serve the Lord. And whenever people would see that big stone there, they would remember the oath that they made to God. Also, Absalom, he built a pillar to himself because he didn't have any children he wanted to be remembered. In 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 18, if you go to Israel today, it's still there. It's this huge stone building that's there. It's a very neat place. It's called, uh, it's called Absalom. They call it Absalom's pillar now in the Bible. They refer to it as Absalom's place. And something that people have so they can they because they want to remember things. It's very important. Uh, I remember one time. I remember at Lighthouse. There was it was funny when we were building the auditorium there. They were working on the nursery, and there was a, there was this one fellow that was always there helping. He he was an older fellow. His name was Marvin. And Marvin he's in heaven now, but Marvin he was a, he was a great guy, and he wanted to help. He'd do anything to help, but sometimes you know wouldn't always sometimes maybe hinder a little more than help. And Dad always liked to give him a hard time, but he he'd do his best. And one day he was working up in the attic, and he let a light down by the cord and left it sitting upside down. And it was one of those lights that had the metal things covering it. And he left it there for a long time while the light was on. Well, it got really hot and it left a big burn mark in the carpet there in the nursery. And, you know, he felt bad about it. And it was in a spot where most people weren't going to see it. And on purpose, they never replaced that. On purpose, they kind of they left it there like that because my dad's like, whenever we see that, we can tell people the story about Marvin burning the carpet. We, they made fun of him all the time for it, and it was it was something just. And uh, actually, a few years ago, they replaced the carpet. and It was gone, and a great memory, you know, was gone. You know, people would see that. What happened there in the carpet? We tell them that story. It was a reminder. You probably got stuff like that. If we went into your house, you know, there's probably a flaw somewhere in the house, and then you have a story. You know, that's where one of the kids, you know. But, you know, ram their head through the wall, or you know, something like that. You know, kids—they leave those things all over the place. Uh, evidence. I guess I did that when I was a kid. But you know what? There's some monuments that we have that we ought to be pointing others to, and that we need to be remembering all the time. And one of those things, I believe, and we've got—we've got all of these right in here. They're in—they're in this room. As I was thinking about different things, one of them. It's that American flag. That American flag right there. You know, that flag, to me, I believe it represents a lot of things. But one thing that flag represents, it's a symbol of liberty. I mean, when I think of America, I think I think about freedom. I think about liberty. I think about the Statue of Liberty. You know, it must have been an amazing thing, you know, back in the days when the immigrants, they'd be coming over and they'd head into... Ellis Island there, and they'd see that Statue of Liberty. And to them, boy, it had to just be thrilling. Some of them came from countries where they didn't have freedom. And they'd see that statue there, and they would think about that liberty. They'd see that American flag. And it reminded them that we are now free. Well, many people who have come to America, they've come for religious freedom. Maybe they didn't want, they didn't serve the gods that they were being forced to serve. They didn't want to serve those gods. That they were being forced to serve in their countries. And they came to this country because it was a place of liberty. And our flag represents that. That flag also, I believe, is a symbol of sacrifice. 
Many people have died fighting for this country. And let me tell you, we should always appreciate that. We ought to respect and honor our soldiers. Those people, they go and they put their lives on the line. And many of them have lost their lives so we can have freedom. I think about all these protesters that we're hearing about all the time. They just go, you know, in Chicago they just had a bunch of them. Most of these people are just protesting stupid things. I mean, they're just, most of them don't even know what they're protesting. I mean, they just go on these marches protesting stupidity. And it's like, and they're, they're always, and they, one thing they all have in common, they all seem to hate our country. It's like, you know what? If you hate this country so bad, why don't you go to some of these other countries? Why don't you go, you know, to, to some of these Muslim countries? Try protesting over there. See what they do to you. You'll be dead. I mean, in, in our country, I mean, you literally can go and you can walk around holding a sign bashing our president. And you can get away with it. In other countries, you can't do that. You say bad stuff about their leaders, they'll kill you. They'll throw you in prison. And these people, some of them, they'll even protest the soldiers. I think about the Westboro Baptist Church. Anybody know who they are? The Westboro Baptist Church. That's good. They're not Baptists, let me tell you. They're, it's a, it's, they call themselves Baptists, but these people, I'm telling you, scum of the earth. And they're always protesting at soldiers' funerals. They hold signs up like, you know, thank God for dead troops. I mean, they think it's God judging America because of the whole. They're, they're totally against homosexuality, which, you know, but they take it to a whole new level. And they blame dead soldiers on, you know, God's punishing America for our the way we are with homosexuals. They, they'll have signs like, thank God for 9 11. I mean, these people are. Are just garbage. They they hate our country, and I think that soldier whose funeral you're protesting at, he died so you could have the freedom to continue being an idiot. In other countries, you do stuff like that, they will kill you. And I'm telling you, sometimes it's like maybe we ought to be a little more like these countries because of people like that. But you know what? I mean, this is America. People are free to be idiots. People are free to be scumbags like they are. And I said, I wish they would change the name of their church. And man, I've had people, fortunately, not too many people, I've had a couple people like, are you like those Westboro Baptists? No. No, 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 no. We are nothing like them. If those people are Baptists, I'm a black Muslim. That's what I'll tell them. I was like, I was like I, we are nothing like them at all. But that flag, it represents. Like I said, people don't burn the flag trying to be disrespectful to it. And that flag, it's a symbol of liberty. It's a symbol of sacrifice. And we need to be reminding people of it. Most of these people that are doing these protests, it's a lot of young college people who know nothing about American history, who know nothing about sacrifice, who know nothing about what has been done so they can have the freedom to have do those marches. They've never been in other countries. They have no idea what it's like over there. They've not been taught. And we need to always be reminding people of our American history. We have great we have a great history here. It's not a perfect history. We've definitely got our flaws. I mean, our, our country, it's made some mistakes. But I believe that we do have a great country and there has been some great people 
who have made this country what it is, that have made some great sacrifices. And we ought to always be reminding people of our history and pointing them to that American flag. We ought to, we ought to stand. I, I'm okay with pledging allegiance to the flag. I, I love this, hearing the Star Spangled Banner song. I, I love that kind of thing. I like being patriotic. I'm all for it. And we need to remind people of that. But then also, not only that, but you know another monument that we have, I guess you could say, something that we ought to be pointing people to is the Baptist Church and its baptism. The Baptist Church and its baptism. You know, the Baptist Church, I believe, it's a symbol of religious liberty. It's also... I want to read something to you. The Baptist Church, one thing that, you know, unfortunately, Baptist history is being forgotten like crazy. Thank God there are some men out there who they go around and they do a lot of preaching and things on Baptist history. They've wrote some books. And let me tell you, we, the as Baptists, we have an amazing history. But the truth is, most people don't realize this, the Baptist Church was very instrumental in uh, the, uh, getting America to be a religious, or to have the religious freedom that was in our declaration or in our Constitution, a lot of people don't realize that. Um, Thomas Jefferson, here's a, I want to read just a part of a letter to you that he wrote to the Danbury Baptist Church. The Danbury, the America became real close to having a national religion, but which definitely would have been a bad thing. I do not believe in having a national religion. I do not. I, I would not be happy. If America said, you know what? We're going to make Baptists the national religion. We don't believe in that. We believe in the separation of church and state. And that was something, that was a Baptist idea that they talked about long before anybody else did. But I want to read just one part of this letter. It says, believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God. That he owes account to none other for his faith or worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions. I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Thus building a wall of separation between church and state, adhering to this expression of the supreme will of the nation in behalf of the rights of the conscience, I shall see with a sincere satisfaction the progress of those sentiments which tend to restore to man all his natural rights, convinced he has no natural right in opposition to his social duties. I reciprocate your kind prayers for the protection and blessings of the common Father and Creator of man and tender you for yourselves and your religious association assurances of my high respect and esteem. That was Thomas Jefferson. He was writing to the Danbury Baptist Church letting him know that they were going to do that, that they were going to make sure that there was a separation of church and state. That the state could not come in and tell religions what to do. What to practice? Listen, there's some goofy religions out there. You know, I don't believe. I don't. You've been around long enough to know that I am not for what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. I'm not. I don't. I don't believe in what they're teaching. I don't like it when they come knocking on my door. But you know what? I support their right to do that. I don't believe our government should go and shut down their churches. The Mormon religion is pretty goofy. They got some crazy ideas. But you know what? 
our, I don't believe our government ought to go shutting them down unless they're doing something that's you know hurting other people or interfering with other people's you know rights. They need to leave them alone. They ought the government needs to stay out of that. And people don't realize that it was the Baptists that fought for that. It wasn't always like that in America. You know, they always in history they always talk about the pilgrims, how they came over for religious freedom. But the truth is, many of those them were they were Puritans. They were against what was going on in the Catholic Church, but they still adopted or they believed a lot of the same things. And people don't realize there were many Baptist people, many good Baptist people that were killed through religious persecution in America in the early days. There was one man named Obadiah Holmes. He was an early Rhode Island settler and a Baptist minister who was cruelly whipped in the Massachusetts Bay Colony for his religious beliefs and activism. He became pastor of the Baptist Church in Newport, Rhode Island, a position he held for 30 years. In 1650, he and others were taken to court for their religious views and practices and compelled to leave the colony. He settled in Newport in the Rhode Island colony and soon befriended John Clark and John Crandall. In July 1651, these three men, while visiting an elderly friend in Lynn, Massachusetts, were apprehended, tried, and given exorbitant fines for their religious practices. Friends paid the fines for Clark and Crandall, but when Holmes learned of this, he refused to allow them to pay his fine. Six weeks after the trial, he was taken to the whipping post in Boston and given 30 strokes which were laid on so harshly that for weeks afterward Holmes could only sleep while on his knees and elbows. The year after this incident, Holmes became pastor of the Baptist Church in Newport and continuously held that position for 30 years until his death in 1682. That happened in America. I'm telling you, man, some of them, them Puritans, they were mean. So they were, you know, they had some good ideas. They were against the Catholic Church in some ways, but many of them were not for religious freedom. They came over to America and they kind of they wanted their religion to rule. And then when some of these Baptists would come along and start preaching the gospel, they didn't like it. And there were many that were that were uh, that were killed and that were beaten and were imprisoned in America. And Obadiah Holmes and his his wife Catherine. Just another little side note here: they had nine known children eight of whom survived to adulthood, and he was also an ancestor of United States President Abraham Lincoln. Obadiah Holmes, a good Baptist man in our history. Too, we've got a great history. It's a symbol of the Baptist church and its baptism. It's a symbol, I believe, of religious liberty. Baptists have never tried to kill people because their religious differences were different. I mean, yeah, there's been some Westboro Baptist Church type people out there, but the Baptists as a whole, they've never done that. The Catholics, of course, everybody knows that they've persecuted thousands of people, but millions probably. But you know what? Even guys like Martin Luther, they that started the Lutheran Church, did many of those same things, killed many Christians. John Calvin killed many Baptists because their religious, while their religion was different than the Catholic Church, and maybe was even a little bit better. They also believed that religion should be a part of the government. They mixed the two. And they would always kill people or imprison people that were different. The Baptists have always stood against that. Also, But the Baptists also, and the reason I say it's baptism, it's a reminder 
of biblical authority. Another thing that Baptists have always done that has always just angered some of them other religions is baptizing converts from other religions. Remember, for the first few hundred years, what was the church called? It was just called the church. You know, people they were called Christians. They didn't have, you know, all these different names that were out there. But then in fourth century, Constantine started that Catholic church. And they mixed the two. They mixed religion and they mixed uh, the government. And when they did that, of course, the true Bible believers, they rejected that. They stayed away from that. There's, and they, they said, no, we're not going to do that. And when people would get saved out of the Catholic church, people who were baptized as infants, the Baptists would go, they'd lead them to Christ, they'd bring them to their church, and they'd baptize them. And boy, the Catholics, they they get furious. And they started calling us Anabaptists, which meant rebaptizers. They they because they didn't like that. And uh, for years, the Baptists, that was one of the names that they've been called by is Anabaptists because they baptized converts from other religions. But they did that uh even some of them Protestant religions. They would do that. People would get saved from some of these false religions or where they would uh, they would get sprinkled as infants. Or they would be sprinkled even as adults and they didn't use immersion. And they would get saved and they would baptize them. And some of them religions too. I mean, if you got baptized in their religion, you were theirs. You didn't go switching to other religions. That would sometimes mean death if you did that. And in some countries, it's still that way. You don't think so. Go try converting to Christianity in some of these Muslim countries. And you know what? It's still even like that in some of the countries where Catholics really have a big stronghold. It's still like that some places. Baptists have never done that. And they were, so they call, they call them Anabaptists because they'd always rebaptize these people. And of course, the Baptists would say, we're not, we're not rebaptizers. These folks never were truly baptized. If, listen, if you've just been sprinkled, you've never been baptized. You just got sprinkled. If you got baptized, or if you got dunked under the water and you weren't saved, you didn't get baptized, you got dunked under the water. Or if you are from a church that didn't preach the gospel and they dunked you under the water, you didn't get baptized, you got dunked under the water. And so we've always done that as Baptists, and it's always drove some of the other religions crazy, but you know it's a reminder of biblical authority. Because not everybody that calls himself a church is a church. We can call you can call yourself whatever you want, but it's not whether you call yourself a church. Does God call you a church? Are you a true, a true church? But we need to be reminding people of our Baptist history. Many Baptist people were put to death for it. Many uh, I've got I've got a book up here called The Trail of Blood that talks a lot. About some uh, about some of these things, many Baptist people, I mean thousands, have died because they rejected that infant baptism, or they were re-bat- or they were baptized in a Baptist church after being sprinkled in a Catholic church, and it meant death. They said, "You know what? We're going to do it. It's the right thing to do. It's the biblical thing to do." And you know what? We don't. We don't need to go walk away from that. We don't believe that baptism saves you. But we do believe in being a member of a local New Testament church. We believe it ought to be the right kind of church. And we believe you ought to use baptism and it ought to be the right kind of baptism in the right kind of church. And we don't ever want to get away from that. 
We, are, we need to remember that. When I see that baptismal tank, when I, I love when I see people get baptized. I love seeing folks. Maybe they were sprinkled when they were a baby. Maybe for years they thought they were saved because their parents told them, hey, you got sprinkled. But you know what? The, you see in the Bible, that's not what saves you. And I love when you see those people give their heart to Christ and they get not rebaptized, but baptized for real in, in the right kind of church. It's an exciting thing to see that. And they become a part of that church. A part of a local New Testament church. What a wonderful thing that is. But you know, many people today, they don't think, ah, oh, it's not important. Baptism is not important. You know, I'm okay with you thinking that if you're from some of these other religions. But if you're if you're a Baptist today, I believe you ought to think that's important. I think it's something that we ought to take serious. Because let me tell you, our forefathers took it very serious. And they died remaining loyal to the Word of God and following the Scriptures the way God wanted them to do it. We don't want to forget about that. That's why we don't need we don't need to change our name. I believe I believe we've got a good name. Yes, there's some groups out there that are trying to run the name through the mud. But you know what? The truth is that uh, I believe that Baptist is a good name. We, we've had some other names throughout the history like Paulicians, you know, Donatists, uh, there's, there's Anabaptists, there's, there's been some other names. But there's, thankfully, there's always been people that were preaching the true Gospel, that had those marks of the New Testament church that um, you know, the, the, who believed that its head and its founder was Jesus Christ, that He was the lawgiver, and the church is, all, is the only executive. There were those who believed that the only rule of faith and practice was the Bible. They had the right name, the name church. Uh, I mean, there's, there's several marks. I'm not going to go through all of them. There's always been those that believe that and remain loyal to it. And you know what? Don't ever let anybody tell you that because you're a Baptist that you're a Protestant. We're not Protestants. We did not break off from the Catholic Church. We were around before the Catholic Church. We've never protested the Catholic Church. We rejected it. We've never been a part of it. If anything, they broke off from us. And we don't, we don't, we don't, we've been around for a long time. And there's a lot of Baptist people who think that they're Protestant. It's because they don't know their own history. We didn't start during the Reformation. We were around before the Reformation. We've never tried to reform the Catholic Church. We've always stood against it. And we've always stayed loyal to the Word of God and to the true baptism. We don't ever want to get away from that. We should all, and we should always be reminding people of our Baptist history. I, I plan on over the years, I, I hope to be able to tell more stories about like this man named Obadiah Holmes. I've got some other stories. We're not, we don't have time to get into them tonight. But I'm telling you, we have a great history that we should be very proud of as Baptists. Our forefathers aren't people like John Calvin and Martin Luther and Luther Zwingli. Those are the guys you learn about all the time. Ours were guys like Obadiah Holmes and Shubal Stearns and men like that. Great men of God. But you know what? I love the fact that I'm an American. I love the American flag and I love what it means. I love what it represents. We ought to always remember it. I love the Baptist church. I love its history. I'm glad I'm a part of a Baptist church. I'm a Baptist by conviction. But you know, one thing that's more important than that, one symbol, one monument that we have that we ought to always be pointing people to is the cross. That cross, you see one right up there. That cross... What a wonderful thing it is. I think about Numbers 
chapter 21. You don't have to turn there, but I love that story. That's where Israel, once again, they were whining and complaining. And the Lord got angry. He sent fiery serpents that went and started biting the people and they started dying. And Moses told them, he said, I want, or God told Moses, he said, I want you to make a brazen serpent and I want you to put it on a pole and everyone who looks at that serpent will live. And he, they made that brazen serpent and they held it out there for the people to look at. And when he, they said, look and live. And when the people looked at that serpent, they were healed. They didn't die even though they deserved it. And you know what? Years later, that was, a, that was symbolic, I believe, of Jesus Christ on the cross becoming our sin. John chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When I see that cross, it's a, it's a reminder of me that I was dead in my trespasses and sin. I was on my way to hell. And I deserved it. There was nothing I could do about it. But thank God that I was able to look in the Word of God and I was able to see Jesus Christ dying on the cross, paying for my sins. And when I looked to Him for salvation, He saved my soul. He cleansed me from that sin and I now have hope of heaven. And that cross, it reminds me of that. It's because of Jesus' work on the cross that we have something to sing about. We sing many songs about the cross. And rightfully so. It's because of Jesus' work on the cross that we have hope of heaven. We talked about that this morning. It has nothing to do with our work. It has everything to do with His work that He did. It's because of Jesus' work on the cross that we have victory today. You know, God, God's given me victory in my life in many areas. We just sang a little bit ago, victory in Jesus. That victory that you have in your life, it's not because you're this great person. You know, it's not because you're just, uh, you know, you're an expert at all these things at raising kids or whatever. It's because the victory is from Jesus Christ. He gives us that when we follow Him and when He saved us. And it's because of Jesus' work on the cross that we have victory. The truth is, it wasn't people who built the Baptist church. It was Jesus Christ. He's the one who laid the foundation. He is the foundation of our church. Also, it it wasn't people who made this the greatest country on earth. It was God Almighty. Yes, He used people to start this country. Yes, He used people uh, to start His church. But ultimately, it's all about God. John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto Me. Jesus Christ, when He said, if I be lifted up, and He was lifted up, He was put on that cross. And that's, that cross is a reminder. And it's a, it's a monument. It's what we're supposed to look at. Remind us, it should remind us of the fact that we were once sinners. We don't ever want to forget that. Sometimes people, after they've been saved for a while, they forget real quick. They get to thinking highly of themselves sometimes. You know what? We need to look at that cross very often and let it remind us of what we once were and what we would be 
if it weren't for Jesus Christ. We don't want to be forgetting about it. We need to be telling other people about it. I know there's crosses all over the place. People just look at it as another religious symbol. But most people, I don't believe they fully understand what that cross means. And I believe it's up to us to be telling people about that. So you know what? That cross, that reminds me. And tell them about when the Lord saved your soul. People get to thinking that we're all just a bunch of holier-than-thou religious fanatics sometimes. And you know what? Sometimes we act like it. And sometimes we even think that we are holier-than-thou. But that's because that, and that can only happen when we get our eyes off the cross. We ought to always keep our focus on that. We ought to always be showing that to other people. Listen, we're not going to... Except we talked about this morning, I'm glad our church looks like a church. You know what? We're not going to get rid of the American flag because we're afraid it might offend somebody. I know there's people that might not like it. That's okay. We're going we're gonna to fly the American flag in here. I, the baptismal. People might not like that. Sometimes people they'll get upset if maybe they were baptized in a false religion. And you say, no, you need to, get, you need to be baptized in the right kind of church. If you got baptized before you got saved, doesn't count. That might not be what they want to hear. But we need to remind people what it means to be a Baptist. That it's something that we don't take lightly. This is it's a, it's a serious thing. We've got it. We've got a great history. But most of all, we need to make sure we're, we're always reminding people about that cross and what it means. We we need to remember. We need to think about it often. Every once in a while, you need to go and you need to read the story of the crucifixion and read about what Jesus had to do so we could go to heaven. We've got a great history as Americans, as Baptists, and especially as Christians. And we do not want to forget. Our country is getting in trouble all the time because we forget and we forget fast. It's sad how many people have forgotten 9-11. They, it's like they've already forgotten about it. So I remember when Osama bin Laden was killed. There were all these things on the internet. One of the, I guess one of the big searches that was going on on the internet was, who is Osama bin Laden? But what? What? Forget. People forget fast. They forget. Uh, they forget history. As Christians, you know, we or as Baptists, we forget why we're Baptists. Or why do you go to the Baptist church? I like the preacher. <laughs> hey, I hope you like me, but that's not a reason to go to a church. Because you know what? There, some of them, some of them charismatic folks are real likable, and guys like Joel Osteen and stuff. Man, he's smiling all the time, always happy and everything. But uh, yeah, just because a guy smiles all the time doesn't mean he's telling the truth, and he's not, by the way. <laughs> but uh, people, they—it's because we forget. We forget our history. Well, why? Why are you a Christian? Why Christianity? Why Jesus Christ? Hey, I guess it doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere. You know what? They forgot. We've forgotten. And we do not... We, we can't do that. And guess what? It's our responsibility to remind people. That's our responsibility. The world's not going to do it. The modern day historians aren't going to do it. They're always trying to change history. All the time they're trying to change history. They're always trying to rewrite history. We forget things. So let me tell you, as Baptists, we don't want to do that. We Baptists too. We the, the world acts like we're behind the times. 
And in some ways, I guess we are. You know, we're old-fashioned. But at the same time, we're way ahead of times. So we were for religious liberty before Thomas Jefferson ever said anything about it. I didn't take time to read it, but I've got it in here. A letter, it's called The, the Bloody Tenet. It was written, uh, it was based on a, a note that was received from an anonymous Baptist prisoner in America. And if you read that letter, many of the things that are in it sound a lot like the, our Declaration of Independence. A lot of the same wording is in there. Because this was a Baptist person talking about how we should have religious freedom. And we've always been ahead of the times. We're way, we're way ahead of the times right now. We still believe that life begins at conception. And you know what? I hope and pray that someday that people will accept that. And that they will follow that. And they will live that way. Um, another man, Roger, Roger Williams, started the first Baptist church that was in America. He was against slavery before while the country was country accepted it, made it legal. It was a Baptist, one of the first people in this country that said, No, we, we can't be doing that. But that's wrong. He took we we've all Baptists have always been way ahead of times. That's because we've always stuck by the Bible. And the truth is now we're not behind the times. The world is heading backwards. They're going the wrong way. I mean, killing our own babies. I mean, how, how barbaric is that? It's like we're going back to barbaric times. It's like we're going back to the dark ages. You know, just because we've got all these cool gizmos and technology, it doesn't mean we're smarter. It's just mean we got some cool gizmos and technology. But when it comes up to it, we are going the wrong way. Barack Obama, everybody was saying that he completed his evolution when he accepted gay marriage. <laughs> he devolved. I'm sorry. <laughs> he went the wrong way. We're way ahead of the times there too. We've always been against that. and But the world, it's going backwards. It's going the wrong way. We need, we need to remind them. And the truth is, the reason people think that, they've forgotten the story of Adam and Eve, how God did it. It was God that instituted marriage. It was God that joined that first woman, man and first woman and made them one flesh. It's God that joins us together. It's God that started the whole thing. It's God that started the family. He did that. But people don't know that story. They've forgotten it. And that's why they're thinking some of the goofy things that they're thinking today. And we don't want to do that. We need to remember our history. And this Memorial Day, well, I'll, you know, I hope everybody has fun. I'm all for the picnics and things. 100% for that. But I hope we take the time to remember not not only the things we're talking about, but especially our soldiers. That's the time when we're supposed to do that. We need to remember that. But as Christians, we need to remember that all year round. Remember what that flag stands for. Remember what this Baptist church stands for. Remember what that cross stands for, what it means. So that, let's stand together. Our heads bowed, eyes closed.